Hi everyone, welcome to The Blank Canvas, the arts and education podcast from Lester B. Pearson School Board. This is Frank Caracciolo, artist and arts consultant for the Lester B. Pearson School Board. Please join us as we speak with people making a difference in the arts and education community. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with teacher Lori Brown from Pierrefond Community High School. Lori is the founder of the drama program, the PC Players, and this year is teaching English as well as drama. Hi, welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm here with Lori Brown, teacher. Cool. Hi, Lori. How are you today? I'm good, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, some background? Sure. Uh, I've been a teacher at... uh... Pierrefond Community High School since uh, 2003, but I've been teaching since 2000. I went to Pierrefond Comprehensive High School myself, so it was a little bit of a homecoming when I returned back as a teacher. It was a little disconcerting to call my teachers by their first name, but other than that, I've always felt like it was home. Can you tell me about what the year's been like so far? It's been sad and a little bit lonely. So um, I usually do the PC players, the uh, the extracurricular theater group, and we have uh, not been able to have a show. We were not only able to not do one this year, but the show that we were mounting and were five weeks from actually putting on where it was uh, abruptly stopped and the kids didn't get to do it. So not only did those secondary five students not get to have their last hurrah but there's a second group of secondary five students who are heading towards not really getting the full experience we're hoping to put something together but it's uh it's certainly not going to be the full-scale musical production that we're used to so it's been sad and lonely sad because I don't get to see them when we do see each other it's a little bit like you know those those um veteran movies shows where they, they they come back from Iraq and everybody throws themselves at each other because we're so happy to see each other because right now we don't even get to see in passing because they're in their bubbles they're home half the time and I'm in the grade eights only because that's where I'm teaching and I never see them ever unless I'm spraying hands at the door so well, it's been different you and I were working together um on that last show that we were going to do for tops and um, you were, and I, that's what really I wanted to uh, kind of share with the listeners is that all the work that you do when a production goes on. And I, you know, like I, I've been uh, involved with uh, the arts and education for a long time and I've seen a lot of productions, but I've never seen anybody like you, Lori. I've, I've never seen anybody who, uh, I, I, I remember when I first came and I met you, you were binding the scripts in your classroom, you had your own binding machine and you rewrote the scripts and you rewrite the scores for the music so that we can use that music. I think the last the last one uh, that uh, we were working on, you were working on uh, music from, from Fleetwood Mac. Yes. And uh, you rewrote the lyrics to go uh, with with the piece, which I thought was amazing. And uh, and a lot of people don't know these little details that goes into putting on production. But um, tell us about like, what what about this coming year, like how, I'm going to say, how are we going to do it, right? Like how, how are we going to do something? Um, we've, we've seen a lot of montages and uh, online choral uh, performances and, you know, like we've seen Super Bowl. We just saw that last night, right? We just saw like how, 
how they put shows together now. And so maybe that's the future of it, but how are we going to get these kids something special for the end of this year? I think the kids would be happy if they got to have, say, a five-minute monologue and into the abyss and people watched it from home. I think that I've resigned myself that this year we won't be able to sing because 95% of the PC players and what I do is having the kids come together. And in order to have them to come together, to be in the same room, then they definitely can't be singing. And uh, that's too dangerous in these times. And, and I'm not going to even take that chance even if they're in the same bubble so they the singing will be a little bit on the uh on the back burner this year we were supposed to do um the uh the princess bride with u2 music and the reason why i didn't just redo the play from last year is because i generally cast the show and then complete right complete the writing of it and it's a lot of it is the, the personalities of the kids that I see during the early audition phase. And then I've written parts of it, like the really the really important parts of the play that you can't really change without changing the story itself. And then I tailor the rest of the character to the students that I get and to things that I want to push them towards a lot uh, because a lot of the kids that I get want to do prof theater and I want to push them to go a little bit further than their their comfort zone especially if they're a little bit on the shy side so then I I tailor it to what they need to work on kind of thing and and uh, so this year the I wouldn't mind reusing the Princess Bride because I didn't have anything in mind, but I can't reuse the one that we uh, that we started last year because it's too too much. I would have to rewrite it. I would have to rethink and and change things. And and sometimes the songs we picked for that character were because of the voice of that character, and it's no longer applicable. So I would have to I would have to revamp it quite significantly in order to use it ever again. And also so that I don't break any hearts, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. The kids who never got to do it. Yeah. yeah. They take ownership of that. That's really one of the nice things about those kinds of productions. I just predict that we're going to pull something off this year, uh, whatever Amen. it is, uh, you know, and, and we'll get it done. Um, can you tell us just uh, for people that don't know about the PC players, can you just touch upon that? Sure. It started out with uh, a group of kids that I taught when they were in grade eight. And we put on these tiny little snippets of, these Robert Munch uh, stories. So I, I took the, the Robert Munch books, turned them into five to seven minute plays and cast my entire 80 group, 80 kid strong group of, of students. And every single kid, the kid with Asperger, the, the one who refused to go on stage, every one of them had a, a part that they had to do on stage. And um, there were about five of them who were in that group who said, the next when I had them again the next year I had only some of them the next year they said miss can we do something else and I said yeah sure why not so I went to see the principal at the time and I said I'd like to put on a stage play the drama teacher at that time didn't put on a stage play outside of school so this was extracurricular and and the principal okayed it faculty council okayed it and I put on Romeo and Juliet that year and then those same kids were in grade 11 the following year. I opened it up to other kids too, but the next year those kids were in grade 11 and we did uh, The Importance of Being Earnest. So two stage plays. Then I, uh, and that second stage play I did when I was entirely on maternity leave. So my daughter was born in 2007 and I went to um, 
uh, I, I did the uh, importance of being earnest in 2008 and only returned back to school two or three months after the state, the show was done. Um, and then in 2009, I got really ambitious and we did Greece and uh, we, we purchased the royalties and everything. And it was pretty hefty, $3,700 to do three shows in our enormous auditorium, which is at an advantage as well as a disadvantage. Disadvantage because they ask us how many seats we have, and I have to answer 613. So uh, that means that there are 613 possible seats to be sold, and that's how much they charge you based on that. So we did that, and uh, and then I had another child. So I had another child afterwards, and um, I came back uh, in 2011 with Beauty and the Beast on the Mind, and that show was enormously expensive, $5,500 because of our our auditorium again. And I decided I wanted to do this, but we can't. We didn't have enough people coming to to the shows to to pay back that kind of money for the royalties. So I thought, well, I'll just do something myself and PC players were was born. So I took a I took an idea from Beckett players, which is something that I was part of. It was part of St. Thomas of Beckett church and they first did it to pay off their mortgage and then for children's charities. So they used to write their own plays every year using either popular music or old Broadway tunes. But I really liked the idea of taking a, um, a common writer because a writer and songwriter sound ha have the same sort of sound even if they've evolved throughout their time so if you listen to U2 you're still going to hear the sounds of U2 in their old stuff as well as in their new stuff and so the first one that we ever actually did like that was with uh, Much Do But Nothing and it was the Beatles so that one there I mean I thought oh yeah the Beatles there's only a four-piece rock band they're not that hard well the band had such a hard time learning the Beatles because they're so intricate in what they did so um, I was very lucky with the music teacher that we had and from that moment on I had the same kid in little grade seven boy who was a bass player who continued for all five years that he was in it and then the two years afterwards including last year since he graduated helping out with the band of PC players so we've been very fortunate with that and every year I try to find something that will interest the band as well as my players so I keep thinking I want to do a country music one but I think I would scare some kids off so I don't know I think I'll have to have a very special group before I can do that so it's such a um a large undertaking and the the creative approach that you have is includes so many different uh components that it does bring a lot of people in uh, in their interests, but also uh, people don't know that uh, theater teachers throughout the school board have to pay those fees when they're using uh, a show. Like so that you know you come in, you pay your ticket price, but you don't realize that that go a lot of that money goes back to paying for the rights that you get to use that. And even in a high school, which you know I thought like it, when I first came upon it, I thought it should be free for a high school. Like how much money are we really making, right? But um, it really says something about the, the whole system, about how it's run and, and like how you approach it. It's so creative. Can you, you know, there was something that's been going on um, and I'll get back to the theater stuff in a moment. But uh, when you yeah. were explaining what was happening, can you can you tell the listeners what's what's happening with E.S. Hinton and the Outsiders? Sure. So my uh, my students read The Outsiders in grade eight. Most kids read The Outsiders in grade eight. And I have a student teacher this year. He's a great 
student teacher. He um, he's a from the MATL course at McGill, and he's also a former student of mine. So I had a little bit of a connection. In fact, I requested him um, when I saw his name come across, and uh, and so he he's being a younger person than I is active on all different types of social media. So when he found out that we were reading The Outsiders, he looked up um, S.E. Hinton and and saw that she was online. What a lot of people don't realize is that she was very, very young when she wrote The The Outsiders. It was published before she was 18, but written when she she was around 16. She's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's never been one of those crazy... um, celebrity type people who, uh, you know, lives in mansions and, and flaunts her, her, uh, her wealth or anything like that. She's very down to earth and, and she's active on Twitter and she answers people. He tells me one day, he's like, Hey, did you know that they answer people? She answers people on Twitter. And I said, Oh, that's really cool. And he said, yeah, I noticed it a couple of times now because, you know, when you said we were doing the outsiders, I followed her and I saw that she answered a few people who asked questions and, and he, and I said, that's really cool. And so we were talking about it at the front of class when my students were just starting to do something. And I said, well, tell them about it. So he tells them. And then off the cuff, I say, if she answers any of you, I'll get you a pizza party. And so, well, then uproar happens. The kids all get excited and they're all writing these things. And I'm saying, write something sensible. And so they, they're they uh, they're writing to her. And one kid makes his own Twitter account, a new one that says, please, Essie Hinton, please answer. And then writes, if my teacher says that if you answer us, she'll get us a pizza party. She answered within 30 minutes. So 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh, rats i'm gonna have to tell my husband about this now so then they uh he answered she answers about six or seven of them in that class wow Uh, she's very she's very um has an acerbic wit so she says things like uh don't uh Tell your teacher I'm not responsible for the pizza party, and uh, and then someone will say someone answered a stranger says can we come too and she says I don't think so like you know so she she had big conversations about this but I have two English classes so the next day I have to offer it to them too because I'm fair and uh, and but I had I was writing this English teacher high I could not believe that Essie Hinton had answered my students so excited so then. Um, my grade eight class, the second class, they they start writing to her. And the first kid that writes, I I was I said that you had to ask something about the outsiders. I I made it a little bit more specific so that she didn't think I was a complete lunatic. <laughs> the first kid that she noticed wrote, What do you like better? The outsiders, movie or book? And she wrote, she retweeted it and wrote, duh. I thought, oh, man, I went to the class the next day and I said, you got the pizza party. She answered. Right. So there. But now we're doing this very low key tweeting to um, uh, see Thomas Howell, who was the played pony boy in the movie. So there because Miss Schneider, who is a teacher at BHS, she uh, taught my student teacher, Matthew, and she said that because of the connection, she taught him the outsiders. Because of the connection, if if C. Thomas Howell, her boy, her childhood crush, answers, she'll get cake for us all too. So we're low key trying to get uh, C. Thomas Howell to answer, but so far nothing. But well, you know, it's just um, you know, it's six degrees of separation, right? Like like look how close. Uh, like and we, you know, when I bring up the story. Um, uh, to some of my friends and colleagues, everybody says the same thing. Oh, I read that book. Oh, I love that book. 
I even have a colleague and she sent me a, uh, an image of her holding the outsider's book. She said, Oh, please let me be on that zoom. If she comes in, you know, like I, you know, so it was a very exciting, yeah. You, like you said, it was like a good teacher. Hi. Right. Like, Oh, hi. Like, I, I came home and I said to my husband, I have to spend about 200, maybe $250 <laughs> on pizza for my two classes, but it is so worth it. Yeah. That's was so a cool, worth it. that's a really cool story for, for yeah. all of us in education from top to bottom, <laughs> you know, you and I, in the beginning of the year, uh, as we got started, um, we were talking about the digital theater platform. And, uh, you know, like I, I sat there with you through the meetings with them. And uh, I love the platform, you know, like I don't use it often enough, but I know that you do. And can you just like share um, what the platform is and, and you know, like how it might help other teachers from your sure. perspective? So Digital Theater Plus, I, I didn't really ask them why they started in the first place. I'm sure it was, you know, somebody had an idea that we should have better access to theater, but it, I think it's in its inception, it was for theater teachers. Because when you see the, the things that have been up there for a long time, it's a lot of um, master classes on directing or on, uh, on acting. Um, but I, as an English teacher who does extracurricular theater, I see it in two lights. I think it would be great to show to my actors and to show them the characterization and how some professional actors would actually realize uh, a character like Juliet. But I also see it from the English teacher vein that when I show kids how a professional actor would characterize and bring to life Juliet, they will understand Juliet better. And Shakespeare did not write Romeo and Juliet for us to sit and read it ad nauseum in classrooms. He read it, he wrote it so that we could watch it. He never intended on publishing them and having people read them 450 years later. He'd be tickled pink, I'm sure. But he, um, but I don't think that that was something that he was looking for. So when I have my kids look at Shakespeare, I want them to live it a little bit. And by having all of these options of looking at different uh, versions of a particular show and there's, uh, there's interviews by famous actors like Joseph uh, Fiennes, and there's one with Ethan Hawke on Macbeth, and uh, David Tennant, I can't remember which, I think his is on Hamlet. There's all kinds of, of famous people talking about aspects of plays, and you can show them a whole thing. You can have them watch from minute 12 to minute 14. You can um, you can have the kids do assignments that are based on it. You can have it, them watch it for the love of watching it. We can I can assign it for them to watch at home. They can they can access it anywhere because the the uh, login information that you get from them is every single person gets access to it. This isn't just a platform where you put it on and you play it on your smart board in class. You actually give the kids the credentials to log in. One of the first things that I did with it was um, I often have my students try to at least once a term see something live. So whether it's, uh, you know, their little brother's uh, version of how the Grinch stole Christmas at at the elementary school, or if it's, uh, you know, uh, a play at the Centaur, if they are somebody who would go see that, then I ask them to try to see something live, and I give them all kinds of suggestions, and then I tell them, oh, this is going on this weekend, only $5, John Rennie's doing this, go see that, and, and then I have them kind of do a little, not a critique, because I don't really want them saying what they don't like about it, but more what they like about it, so that they can see that there's so much to enjoy about live 
anything. So it could be a live show, uh, singing or anything like that, or poetry readings. And, um, and this year, obviously, I couldn't do that. So I gave them an assignment to choose one of the four musicals that were that I, I had previewed, because, you know, as a teacher, you should preview the things before you invite your students to watch them. Pretty good advice, I would yeah. have to say. <laughs> and uh, so I had previewed four of them. And I said to them, choose one of them. And I want you to write about them. I had them look at the story arc. I had them look at the characters and, and the setting and then how the actual set was constructed. And there was one in there that I, I, I really enjoyed that was on Into the Woods and they had built this scaffolded platform sort of, it looked like a tree house in the middle of a park and then and they performed it. And it was a little bit like black box theater where the light would go on in one area but there were still little things in character going on in other parts of this treehouse, and uh, and my kids all were in. I mean, some of them were found it boring because some of them don't like live theater and don't like that or felt removed from it being live theater. But uh, some of them were like, "Wow, I never would have watched this unless somebody told me to." So I found that that was at least a way to have them access some live theater without actually being there. Because these are most of them are live. They're not. Uh, they're not things that they have, um, like a movie that has been made out of it. So it, some it, are. It was very exciting to discover the platform with you and to to look at how they were doing that. And I agree with you. Like when um, I back in the day when I was teaching uh, Romeo and Juliet, like it was. I did the same. I tried to find different things that might pique their interest or keep them interested. And it was for me as a in, uh, instructor. Like you would you would see it portrayed so differently all the time and I thought that wow it changes all the time and the way they express it and and so it, it became rich but the way the way you you speak Laurie about um your your classes it, it sounds like I'm talking to like you're teaching university level theater to a, you know uh, high school which is is just really what I think uh, we should be going for right like they're, they're grade eights <laughs> yeah that. I mean grade eight sorry <laughs> like, but it, it, it's true though like uh, the, the the more exposure they get to the arts and especially um with with great teachers like yourself who understand the importance of it and and the value of of uh, how these things could impact them later on in their lives I think it's so important and uh, you know as we we move on uh with this today, I wanted to, because we had a, a recent conversation to get this organized, right? But we, we were speaking about mental health and um, it's a very important topic and I can feel it coming to the top, uh, you know, like the, it's becoming the cream now, right? It's rising to the top of what we've been going through as a, I mean, globally, uh, it's pretty much a, bi a big issue. And you mentioned it, and then you mentioned a project that we were, we were talking about. And could you, could just, um, just let us know a little bit about the project, your thoughts, your experience on, on how it came to be, because I think that uh, that's the direction I think we're going to have to move in. Uh, for sure. And I, I will I'll tell you that it's a really personal journey, too, because I have never been somebody who cracks under pressure. In fact, pressure is my, it's my adrenaline. It's what keeps me going. It's what makes projects finish towards the end. It's when the brilliance comes out. And, and I have been finding in probably, I would say that I started noticing it when school started back up. I was totally, I felt totally fine, totally normal. I was nervous about COVID and about going out before that, but 
when we went back to school and hockey started and ringette started and I started having to go out into arenas and and send my kids out without masks on the ice with people breathing heavily at face-offs I started to freak out a little bit and I realized that I needed to take care of myself and I think a lot of people are bringing that to use your metaphor of the cream to the top is because there's a lot of people who have never experienced any sort of mental health issues before who are now and so they're starting to realize how important it was and whereas before they would share the bell let's talk day and think they've you know done their job um, now they're realizing that it's much more than that and it's much more important on a day-to-day basis and I I have this class in in my grade eights with that's called design and it's an IBM YP course it's a uh, course where they're supposed to look at a problem I give them a challenge and they're supposed to find a solution by finding uh, by using the um, the design cycle, which is very similar, not exactly as something like a scientific method, where they start analyzing what has been done before, they try to come up with some some ideas, they they take ideas from elsewhere, and then for propose a solution. And um, when they're that young, I try to lead them a little bit so that they're not frustrated. So this, this was the idea that I had that they would take the, the aspects of wellness, there's, I think there's nine in total, but we're only going to look at six, because some of them just don't apply to to my grade eight reality. And we're going to look at those like one of them's financial hard for grade eights to worry about financial uh, wellness. So my, um, my grade eights are going to take one of those aspects of wellness, and then they're going to use creativity to help people calm their, their worries, their anxieties. And I realized that this was something that, that I needed when, um, at the beginning of this year, I I mean, I've always been a creative person. I, you know, I write the plays, I, I design and paint the sets and, you know, with the help of others for sure. Um, and, um, and I've always been somebody who's, you know, can pick up a paintbrush and I can paint something. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, excellent in any case but I do enjoy it very much and it does is something that gives me some some great joy actually and um, but I didn't realize that it helped my anxiety and so this in the new year there was this thing that I got in my email and and I opened it and thought well why not it's seven dollars I'm going to join and this lovely lady in Nashville for seven days sent us videos where we we would watch them and then she would give us homework and we could either follow it or not. And, but in any case, we were supposed to explore our creativity every day for seven days. And I did it. And I really felt like I got out of my own head by painting and watercolor is something that I'm, I'm not as adept at because I like to poke and prod at my, at my art. And I, I usually like oil because it's the least, um, it's the one that that dries the slowest and it, it it takes the poking and prodding and the layering really well whereas watercolor you're always going to have a translucency so I had to plan a little more and and just like let things go a little more and and I found that that was really helpful for me so in that moment I decided that I was going to do something with my grade eights to help others uh like this woman this lady Elaine and uh and she she has said that I am welcome to continue on doing something like hers inspired by her and uh so I'm hoping to work with some artists in the community and and to show my students how they can be 
out of their heads for a moment, not like worrying or, or whatever, and just focusing on something that's tactile in front of them and know that even though it may not come out to something that will be hung in a museum, it certainly is something that they can either know that the worries are on the paper now and they can put it away and, um, and that they can show other people how to do that too. So I'm calling it the greatest happiness project, uh, a little bit like John Stuart Mill's The Greatest Happiness Principle. So not everybody will love it, but it, it will, will find something within any of the, the aspects of art that will bring us back to that time where if they gave us finger paints, we all loved it no matter what, right? Everybody did. It didn't matter if you're creative or not. And someone told these, these people along the way, you're not very creative, are you, buddy? And that was it. They didn't draw anymore. Yes, that's and for that's, sure. How painful is that? You know, that's pretty painful. <laughs> and I, I went through that yeah. earlier this year with my son. He had to do a uh, a project for for his his class, his English teacher, where they had to draw a fall scene. And he said, "I can't draw." I said, "For sure you can, buddy. Here, let's look." And and we we looked something. We watched a YouTube video, and then we we looked, and and then he did his own version of it. And it's beautiful. It's on the fridge, not be, not necessarily not just because I love my son, but he did an amazing job, and he was proud of himself, and realized, you know what. I can be artistic and then right. was suddenly wanting to draw things in a sketchbook, which is so sad that at a moment before that, he felt like he couldn't do it. I think that's a lot. That happens a lot. And um, we get caught up in the other uh, core subjects. And that, that's one of my things. I, I really, uh, that's what I do outside of my, you, and you know that, right, as, a, as an artist. And uh, I see the value of it, but it, it's really important. And I think a lot more people are going to be touching upon uh, these kinds of activities, these tools to to remedy some of the anxiety that we're living right now through this pandemic. And, you know, like if you're you're in the house, like how many closets can you clean after a while? It gets to be, you know, and and, you know, people people really need the arts. And you are one of those people that shine and, it, you know, just it just comes off of you all the time. And that's why I, I wanted to have you on and to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, and I, I hope that we get to revisit uh, that project for sure. And I'm going to be supporting you. Uh, hopefully we can find some grants for that project and get some people involved and maybe some artists that would uh, then, you know, can support the project, but also we, we're going to keep in touch you and I, because I, I definitely want to see what we can do for the, uh, the end of the year. And I'd love to see if we can pull something off and then we can, we can have another, um, another show where we uh, maybe we can do it live from there or, or we could have response with some of your actors on, it would be great. So yeah, for I'm, sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they it, like talking <laughs> Yeah, like us, like uh, that's why we're doing this. Right. So I, I just, I want to thank you um, always for all that you do for the students. And I know that uh, you are a force to be reckoned with in the arts in our school board. And I think uh, I'm, I'm very happy that I get to share um, all the things that you do with the rest of our, our, our board. So I want to wish you well, and thank you for coming on the Blank Canvas today. Oh, it's my pleasure always to talk to you, Frank. All right. Have a great day. Yes, you too. Bye. Okay, cut. <laughs> I, oh. get say, I get to say cut with you. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast made possible by the Educational Service Department at Lester B. Pearson School Board. Please find the Blank Canvas on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you download your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.